Welcome back to the flip side, Galen Clavio, Brian Moritz. On a morning podcast recording, this is a very unnatural time for us to be talking to one another, Brian. How are you handling it? I, I, I don't think we've ever, except for the time I stayed at your house, I don't think we've ever spoken before like 2 p.m. So this yeah. is um, this is very, uh, this, this is different, but but it's good. I've got a lot of coffee. I'm ready to go. And, uh, and uh, you know, a little, as we said a little earlier, a little cobweb podcasting today, but that never hurt anybody. Ah. Yeah, you know, cobweb podcasting is often the best podcasting because you don't think about what you're going to say. And as, opposed to, as opposed to all those episodes where we put in voluminous amounts of preparation and, and, and thought before our, uh, I mean, of course I do. What am I talking about? Right. Um, I mean, I, we need, if, if not, I need to, we need to reevaluate your contract, I would say. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to hold out and hold out for more guaranteed money. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> we, I will trade you to, you know, like this American life or something like that. How about that? Oh, that's okay. I'm like, yeah, okay. You won't <laughs> play. You'll be on the bench the whole time. Okay, but I gotta figure that they have they, that they have really good. They probably have some guaranteed money in their contracts. You gotta think so. only for the first round picks. Oh dang it! I, I somehow oh, I doubt a bench warmer, uh, you know, in, in that environment is going to be getting a tremendous amount of of uh, guaranteed money. First of all, I'd like to say that thank you that after like three years of podcasting, you think I'd be a bench warmer at This American Life. That's a confidence I think we'd both be bench warmers at This American Life. We're way too excitable for NPR. That, 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 that's a valid point. That's a valid point. That's a, that'd be an interesting topic to explore sometime. Podcast trades. I think that could be really fun. Like, do you tra- like, 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 obviously you have your untouchables, like Jab, Jad Abumrahm is not being traded from Radiolab, but you know, do you, do you, do you trade one of the the McElroy brothers for let's say David Kestenbaum on This American Life? Like that's a high level trade that could happen. Yeah, I mean, I think some of them need it. Like there's there's some relatively stale uh, podcast stuff I think going on out there. Even though it, stuff sounds fairly good, um, I, I do wonder a little bit about the uh, the overall. <laughs> Like just to just to like make it more exciting, you know. That's like say you have an offense that you know after a while just isn't clicking the way that it used to. You need to bring a new player in there to kind of you know get things up and running again. Well, yeah, I I, I do feel like that there you know there's some good stuff going on in the podcast space. Um, I can recommend two things that I've been listening to that I've really liked, and they're both kind of like the true crime reported type podcast. One is uh, Slow Burn from Slate. They did season one. They did a series on Watergate, and they just launched uh, a series that they're doing on the Clinton impeachment and the Clinton and, and um, kind of all the, the the stories about that, which I find really interesting. Right. And the other and the other is the RFK tapes which is kind of they're wrapping up I think this week it's I think a 10 episode dive into the RFK assassination and all the conspiracy theory and the conspiracy theories about that which I didn't know that there were conspiracy theories about the RFK shooting yes so it's really so I, it's, I only it, know it, I only know because when I am uh, unable to fall asleep I just do Wikipedia deep dives and I find all kinds of things that I'm like really that happened you know so that's- that, that that's a fantastic insomnia cure but also but um but but i do i i do get the sense that like what i think podcasting what i feel like i don't know if it needs anything because i don't think that that to me insinuates a problem in the space which i don't know exists but it would be nice to kind of have a you know basically like a serial from four or five years ago something that completely restart like like shows people what they can do on that 
in this space and in this platform because I do feel like um, like what's ser- the, the great thing about serial um, aside from the first like four or five episodes of that first season, which are still among the best, you know, the best of podcasting. Right. But it also opened the door to a lot of this true life, true crime, true reported podcast showing that podcasts can be more than, you know, what we do, you know, right. You know, people talking in, in, in a studio format. So I do wonder like, what's the next, I'm excited to see kind of what the next, surprise in 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 this format could be yeah well look this is still a young format i think it's important for people to keep in mind like the the uh the era of podcasting you could make an argument i mean there's certainly been podcasts for you know almost 15 years now but you could make an argument that we didn't really hit um a point where a lot of people listened to them until 2016 and mm-hmm. I, I think that that the the increasing attention to the podcast medium is going to naturally create some situations where we're going to have new and innovative ideas and and yet you know i i think that maybe we shouldn't overthink it like at the end of the day what makes podcasting entertaining and enjoyable to people in my opinion at least is the fact that they get to listen to people talk and it doesn't sound you know hokey and forced like so much of radio does and That's true. and i say that as a former radio guy i you know, if there's a, it's like the, it's like the transition between being a pop musician and a jazz musician, like pop is, is more popular, more people listen to it. But when you're actually doing it, uh, you got to really sell yourself internally on this idea that what you're doing is worthwhile. And most of the time you're, you're almost in contempt of yourself and the audience the whole time. Um, whereas, you know, with jazz, it's expressive. You know, you can, you could be yourself as a musician. Uh, you know, there, there's not the rigid structure. And I think that frankly, that's kind of the case with podcasting for me. Like it's far more of a jazz medium where, um, and, and I think that people like that. I mean, not everybody's going to like everything and, and it's certainly as much topic driven as it is talent driven, but you know, the, the ability to, from, from a, from a listener perspective to hear someone riffing on something for a long period of time rather than, you know, cut up in artificial segments or done in a particular, you know, affected voice or, or done in a way that's just meant to agitate the audience. I mean, it feels like, you know, podcasters really want people to listen to them and, and they approach it in a friendly and welcoming manner. Whereas a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people on on the radio side of things, you know, it's this idea that, well, I have to be compelling and compelling means, you know, you got to piss some people off. And I, I don't sense that yet in the podcast realm. So maybe that's what's coming next. No, uh, I, I think you raise good points. And, you know, I think what what's interesting about podcasting is that that idea that, oh, I'm sorry, we're saying this wrong. It's on demand audio, right? <laughs> is that it from last week? Uh, so what, what, what's interesting about on-demand audio, I think, is the fact that it's on-demand and people can get it when they want. Um, but no, I think this idea that um, we have, we you know, that because it is still such kind of an open medium, that it is, like you say, I think the, the jazz, the, the jazz um, metaphor is a good one because now you, because once, it, I feel like once it becomes kind of more, commercialized and corporatized then you do have that formula you have to get into you have to get into this is a true crime and it looks and it you know progresses like this or it's a news discussion and we have the three segments like this or something like that as opposed to 
kind of the you know riffing on whatever or just hearing kind of someone interesting do do something that that that's um that they find interesting in the moment and kind of bring the audience along with them so yeah anyway we got a few things to talk about today um you know we've we've certainly spent more than our fair share of time talking about the athletic and I got news for you folks we're going to spend some more time talking about the athletic today because uh the athletic had uh, they had a bit of a day yesterday they had a bit of a day yeah um the the athletic announced a number of regional sites that have popped up uh that were not there before and uh and and some pretty interesting uh people now joining the athletic uh you know first i guess looking at the individual sites you've got the Athletic Nashville, the Athletic Indianapolis, woohoo! The Athletic New Orleans, the Athletic uh, Carolina, the Athletic Miami, and the Athletic DC, which is launching in December. They also expanded coverage in four cities, and they added Jay Glazer uh, as as well as Lindsey Jones to the Athletics NFL vertical, uh, and Ross Tucker as well. I don't want to leave Ross out of it. So. Right, and, and they they announced I don't know if it was yesterday or today. I'm still catching up from yesterday on Twitter. But uh, Lisa Wilson, who was the executive sports editor of the Buffalo News for a lot of years, um, one of the best sports editors in the country, and uh, had been working at the Undefeated. She's managing editor of the NFL Vertical yeah. too. So, so a lot of stuff, and you know it. It's interesting because the you know the, you're now you're seeing launches in markets where there's. Like the Indianapolis market is interesting, and this is one I, I've certainly have been watching closely since just because I live in the Indianapolis market. But you know, there's really only one game in town for most of this reporting. I mean, you've got you've got some ancillary reporters that have have holed up at uh, at some of the TV stations, and they're doing the whole you know I'm a I'm a writer, but I write for the TV station thing. But you know, the vast majority of of reportage, uh, you know, on on the Colts and the Pacers. And, um, you know, I think you could throw in probably IU basketball and, and Purdue basketball and Notre Dame football. Most of that reportage comes out of the Indianapolis Star, which is a Gannett paper. And um, the Star actually lost two reporters yesterday. They lost one who had left the week before, but he became the, the Colts beat writer for the Athletic Indianapolis. And then they also lost their Notre Dame beat writer who left for Sports Illustrated. Um and, you know, it's interesting kind of looking and, and, you know, trying to read the tea leaves about what this vertical ends up doing in other areas. But, you know, you're, you're starting to see entry points into into markets. I think we saw this in Buffalo, obviously, a couple of, of, of months ago. We saw it uh, certainly with New Orleans, which, I mean, there was just a whole article uh, in, in The Ringer that Brian Curtis wrote about how I don't even think the Times-Picayune has a, a dedicated traveling beat writer for the Pelicans. No. Um, so it's it, this is this is really – this is like the second level or maybe even the third level for the athletic from a financial perspective, you know, can they get into these markets where there's already an established kind of sole proprietor of reportage on these teams and make enough inroads to make the money back uh, for whatever they're paying these reporters. Right. I mean, I mean, I think what's interesting, well, many interesting things about the athletic, but kind of the move into these, you know, single single team markets secondary or smaller, markets yeah secondary markets what where like you say in in 
in Indianapolis, like there's the Pacers, there's IU, but it's mainly Colts coverage, you know, same in Buffalo, there's Sabres coverage, which is going to be popular up here, but it's primarily, you know, from a national perspective, probably looking at Bill's coverage. Um, and, and, you know, you, the, the, it, it's funny to, to see the growth and, the, and that expansion, both on the national vertical, like you were saying, and then on the, on the, on the, the city ones. And, um, I mean, you know, we, 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 we've talked about the athletic, we read the athletic a lot. We, for our jobs, we think about the athletic probably way more than anybody who's not working at the athletic headquarters does. Um, I mean, I, it, it's, it is staggering to think how much they continue to grow and that that growth isn't, um, hasn't been stopping. I think that was kind of an assumption a lot of us had, or, you know, thought would happen that last summer they were, when they they had their first big round of their first big expansion, it was that they're expanding to, wow, they're expanding really fast. They can't possibly sustain this. This is too much. And yet they're still growing. They're still hiring writers. And to my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't, and I haven't seen anything, but they, they haven't gotten another big round of VC funding since that, like they're like $20 million Buy in last summer, right before, right around their big expansion time. So, the, so you know, ostensibly, this is kind of being fueled by the subscription model, and it seems to be, it seems to be working for the time being. Um, you know, I, 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 there, there's so much about the athletic and the model that's interesting, and I, and I find it, you know, you know, I find it interesting now that they're moving more into NFL coverage. You know, I think their first wave along with kind of being multi-sport cities, was very much hockey-driven and very much hockey-focused. You know, they grew in Canada really big. They, they spent a lot of time, I think, developing major markets but with hockey because there was a niche there. You know, hockey is not widely covered by ESPN right. or at all. And, you know, I think hockey writers, especially in the larger markets, your Chicago's, your, um, you know, kind of the, the, some of the first markets where the athletic was, you know, I think hockey coverage – was one of the first major sports beats to kind of get cut back on and to suffer on. Nobody was cutting back on NFL coverage. They would cut back primarily on, on probably NHL. And so that, that was, you know, the natural, natural opening in the market for a place like the athletic to come in and to, and, and to kind of stay, stake a claim within a market, but to be doing so um, in, in, in football markets. Right is really interesting well, and you know you mentioned, and, go ahead no just to jump on that real quickly i think it shows a confidence in what they're doing and i think it, it has to you know I mean, we're not seeing their numbers it has to show a confidence internally in what they're doing financially because yes. the fact that now they've said you know what we're gonna go head to head against espn on espn's breadbasket, which is nfl coverage and we're gonna go head to head against the you know, the local papers that cover the NFL, which that's also for many papers, their breadbasket. That that tells me that they've looked at what's going on in these other marketplaces and they really like what they see in terms of audience response. And I don't know if that works out long term for them, but I, th- I do think it's a very interesting development. I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, and it is funny when you when you kind of think of if you know the 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 much stated goal we brought this up at IAX and everyone brings it up whenever uh, you talk about the athletic is the goal to the the New York Times quote right we want to eviscerate all sports sections or the daily whatever it was you know but but when you when you start going after the NFL and you start going after kind of these national hires 
Like you're going, I got to think at some level you're going after ESPN a little bit, or at least staking a claim to your place at the, at at the table, right? Like it's not just the athletics, not in it just to eviscerate the Buffalo news and the Indianapolis star. Like they're looking to be at the table with ESPN and with the heavy hitters kind of in sports media. Right. And they they have to, And, and this is, so, you know, it's funny how much attention that, New York Times article has gotten as far as you know. You know, we we, we want to eviscerate the the local um, n- newspapers and stuff like that. And you know, it's it's it is a shame that that was the verbiage that was used because what we're seeing right now, and I think what's fascinating is this idea of the athletic seems to have hit upon a model that is sustaining them enough financially that they can go in and innovate in these marketplaces, uh, and and. The new, the, it's like we've known the athletic was coming for some some years now. You know, I mean, it's you know, what when did they launch? Two years ago, two and a half years ago. Yeah, uh, two thousand sixteen. Yeah. yeah, and so everybody knew that this was coming down the pike, and yet you have not, in most cases, seen local newspapers making any actual legitimate moves to modernize and to evolve in their coverage approaches. At least, not that I've seen. Um, yeah, and so now the athletics moving into these markets where it's like, well, all right, if 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 Gannett or if you know Tribune or whoever owns the papers isn't going to actually you know, innovate, yeah, we'll go ahead in and and do what we do, and we'll be more successful than them, and then they'll either have to innovate or or they're going to run into real problems. So uh, the the only uh, kind of shift I would put on what you said because I think I agree with you is from what I can tell, it seems like so much of what the I, I would say where newspapers are failing in innovation is not necessarily coverage. I mean, that's what our research projects are looking at. So um, how much what they're covering and how they're covering it is not. But to me, it just seems like like user experience seems such a big deal for the athletic. Like the idea of no ads, no pop-up video. There was a, a – I did see a thing yesterday morning on Twitter, somebody writing about going to the athletic and now not having, you know, the disembodied voice of a play pop-up video following you down the screen or something like that. And I do feel like that's a big part of the allure is the, is the, is the no ads, the no, the no videos. And that's what, you know – one thing new, you know, traditional news organizations, and that's the worst probably on it, is that their websites are awful yes. to use. I mean, they are just abysmal from a user on any, perspective. On any platform, and, whether it whether, whether oh, it's browser yeah. or uh, on your computer or whether it's on your phone. Yeah, it's 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 an abomination every time. It is. And, I, and, and you know, I, I would love to see, and, you know, again, we've talked about doing this as research too, uh, people – uh, surveys of athletic subscribers to find why they do it, what they enjoy about it. Because I would, um, one of my hypotheses would be that user experience is a big part of it. Is that it's less like I'm getting media coverage that's, you know, I'm getting better Bills coverage here than I am at the Buffalo News. And subjective, you know, your opinions of writers, whatever. But I gotta feel like I don't have to, I don't, I'm my, I have a good, I don't have a pop-up video right. following me around the screen. I think that's going to be a big well, part and, of it. And that's, that's, I guess when I say innovation and, and evolution, that's part of what I'm talking about is this idea that, mm-hmm. you know, if you, you can't, and I don't blame, I don't blame the editors. I don't blame the writers. This is not their problem at, at the local newspapers, but you can't be a, a person that runs those sites or owns those sites and not realize that what you're doing 
is making the actual process of consuming the content that's on your site uh, just kind of a bit of a hell for the people that are your audience. And you know, if if we've seen something over and over again over the course of time in any business, you know, not just journalism, but but in in the airline industry, in the food industry, when you treat the customers like you're doing them a favor by you know, giving them access to your stuff and that they need to jump through all these hoops to actually access it, you're not really you're going to eventually get nicked by somebody who puts the focus on the customer instead. And, you know, this idea of if I'm if I want to read about the Colts or I want to read about, you know, somebody else that I root for, I just want to be able to log on and read the articles. I don't want pop up videos. If I want to watch a video and and I know that it's a video, I'll click on it. I don't want to have to deal with ads. I don't want to have to deal with, you know, reading three paragraphs and then the whole screen disappears. I don't want to have to do all that stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I can go somewhere and get the kind of experience that, you know, that I'm looking for and get good content on top of it, like, it's like, what's the downside? And this is where ultimately, if I'm, if I'm a newspaper uh, owner, I guess, you know, this is where I have to look at this and take some, some real like close looks at what I've decided my business model is going to be. My business model is basically, we're going to badger the audience until they give us more money rather than saying, you know, okay, here's your subscription fee. We're not going to badger you for this moving forward. Um, and that seems to work out fairly well. And, you know, the, the, the argument here is, well, gosh, you could just subscribe to your local newspaper and all the ads would go away. And yet the, the autoplay videos don't go away. And, and in many, right. and you know, if you own a, if you have a subscription, like the athletics pretty cool because there's an app that you can easily access. There's a, you know, the, the web experience is, is pretty straightforward and it doesn't feel like you're constantly having to re-enter your login info or constantly jumping through hoops to try to get to the content that you've paid for. And at the end of the day, I think because you get so much with the athletic, if you're a sports fan, if you subscribe to your local paper, yeah, that's probably the civic thing that you should do, but they they make the whole experience so difficult to get your heart wrapped around Whereas the athletics, like, hey, we you love sports, we write sports, we've got all of these things here, right? I think you know, and, and the civic mo- thing you bring up is interesting and a good topic for another time because I feel you know I quote Jeff Jarvis all the time on this, but there's no business model that that has ever succeeded based that's based on the word should, um, and so I have real problems with kind of the uh, the you should subscribe to your local, you should of course subscribing to your local paper paper is important, but that feels like it's a lot of to me, there's a lot of passing the buck on that one uh, by journalists and by newspaper owners and editors and everyone in kind of the newspaper right. industry. It's, it's, um, it's like the audience's that. obligation rather than it's our obligation to cater to the audience. Right. And, uh, and, and kind of one final thought, we can wrap this up on The Athletic, is um, you know we were talking after we recorded last week. Our, our good friend, Andy Billings, uh, I was talking to him at uh, the AGMC conference a few weeks ago in Washington. And we got to talking about the athletic and, and some of the stuff that we're working on. And he brought up the interesting, the interesting idea that for him, the athletic is like HBO in this regard. If HBO or the athletic have one thing that I can't live without, I'm going to subscribe. And that's the one thing that can bring you back. So with HBO, kind of the, I think the famous example would be Game of Thrones. You subscribe, you pay for HBO. You're not paying for all the movies or everything else. Like you get Game of Thrones. That's what you can't live without. 
and you're happy to pay for it. And I think, you know, that's a really interesting way to think of the athletic and it's because it's very counterintuitive. It's, you know, we've been, we've been trying struggling, I think not struggling, but trying to come up with a, an economic model or an economic thought that, you know, explains the athletic and, and, and helps us as media scholars understand it because you know, it's so antithetical to the traditional journalism bundle, which is the idea that you pay, you subscribe to your local paper and you get everything and you help pay for everything. Um, and I think that, that that HBO model is a really instructive one to think about it, to think of, hey, if I, if I want, you know, Matthew Fairburn's coverage of the Buffalo Bills, and I love that, and I think he's the best guy on the beat, and I happen to think that, then yeah, I'll subscribe to The Athletic. And that's my five bucks a month. I'm more than happy because I can't live without that coverage of the Bills. And you fill in your X variable for whatever that is. But I think that's a really interesting way of thinking about it because it kind of inverses the way we think about it right? Instead of like, what's the grand thing that they provide everybody? Like, no, do you provide, it it, it scales it down, I think, in a really interesting way to think about it. We had a question, not related to The Athletic, uh, and I wanted to address this. Our our good friend, Jared Morris, who's become a regular listener to The Flip Side, we appreciate that. Uh, And this is a little bit of a pickup on what we were talking about earlier. Please discuss how the co-mingling of podcasting and radio will progress moving forward. Will or should radio stations adapt to be more podcast friendly with their formats? Should podcasts try to get on radio? Will podcasts be a minor league for radio or vice versa? I wasn't at podcast movement this year, but a lot of the post-event talks centered around the increased presence of radio personnel. Seems they're finally taking podcasting seriously. It's an interesting suite of questions. Um, And I think the last part there about they're taking podcasting seriously. Yeah, they are because podcasting starting to eat into their ad revenues. And, you know, that's always the thing that turns around. And and as you probably heard when we were making fun of this last week, you know, this idea that that radio people need to be pushing to change the name of podcasting to on-demand radio. You know, we laughed about it because it was such a silly idea to our minds. But I think it illustrates the perspective of the radio industry. And, you know, this is obviously one of the things, if you listen to the podcast long enough, you know that I I hate when legacy media just feel like they are owed a spot at the table simply because they're legacy media. And we see it with video streaming as it relates to television. We see it with the cable companies. Uh, To some degree, we see it with the cell phone companies and certainly radio you know, is, I mean, it's, it's still a powerful medium in terms of advertising revenue. And that's really what's important. And people still listen to their radios. But, uh, you know, as far as how that commingling takes place, um, there, there's a lot of things that radio can do relatively quickly to integrate themselves into the podcast structure. Like they're, they're already doing shows. They're already, they've already got personalities in markets uh, but they have to reorient the way that they do business. And part of the problem with radio, and this is where I think radio really will struggle with the transition, is that you know, radio is all about the clock. You know, it's all about this idea that, okay, we have a 60-minute uh, you know, segment, basically. We have this hour-long period of time. And in that period of time, we're going to have you know, 19 minutes or 21 minutes of commercials. And then the remaining time is going to be a split either between you know, uh, local news and weather, which is sponsored, and then the host doing their thing or music and then other things like there's all these elements that are built in. Those don't work in podcasting. 
like, you know, one of the things about podcasting that I, I truly believe draws people to the medium is this idea that you can have a relatively free flowing conversation where you're not constantly interrupted. You know, it's, I mean, and all you have to do is look at radio itself, you know, on the music side, one of the things that they love to advertise is like, you know, like a, you know, a 40 minute uninterrupted block of rock or something like that, where, Hey, we're going to do you a favor and you're, you're not going to play commercials during this time period. But, but, but a 40 minute an uninterrupted block of rock will also include like three yeah. station IDs or two other things. It's not 40 minutes of Correct. straight music, but so, the point. you know, so I think what radio has to do is they really need to make a decision. What, 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 what do they see as being the biggest value? Is it their brand names? And if that's the case, can they transition their advertising approach to something that's more akin to podcasting? You know, one of the interesting things about podcasting advertising is that it's more effective in many cases than traditional broadcast advertising, you know, because almost everybody who's grown up in an era where television and radio were the preeminent mediums, and and I'm I'm really setting the, the dividing line here at about age 35 or so, if you're older than that, you're used to ads on radio, you're used to ads on television, but you're also used to tuning those ads out mentally or just physically tuning them out, flipping to a different channel, and then coming back when the programming starts again. Whereas with podcasting, generally speaking, uh, people are willing to sit there and listen to a live ad read uh, because it feels organic and part of the process and the host is the one that's doing the read and it, uh, you know, the activation on those sorts of ads is much higher than the traditional canned advertisements that you'll generally get uh, in radio or television. And so, you know, I, I look at radio and, and I, I just question whether they have the, the, the stones, as it were, to completely change their business model to adapt to a format that has been successful largely in opposition to the traditional uh, approaches that they have taken in radio before, if that makes any sense. Yeah, so... I'm going to make a bold claim here, emboldened by the six cups of coffee that I've I'm had this morning myself and, the right unholy, and the unholy amount of Coke that I drank to, to get home from my concert last night. Um, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to, so I'm going to make a, so a hot take alert. Podcasting and radio are completely different. You tell. So they are both audio. Yes. I kind of view them as different in the way that print journalism and magazine journalism are different because like you say, radio is defined by the clock. Like you have the 60 minute hour, you have, you know, it, it's very precision, preci- precision based on like the sentence right down to the very second, right? Like you, you're, it's very tight that that's what you're going for. You're always kind of looking at the clock. Podcasting is different. Like you don't have that clock that you're keeping an eye on. You, it's not, it's much more free flowing. Like you said, um, you can have an episodic na- program, but every episode is not going to be 24 minutes and 22 seconds because it fits around ad times or whatever. Um, and, and, and the reason I, I kind of think of this is I think of kind of like, I, I think one of the things that every a, a lot of people, we all kind of struggle with is we think of podcasting as this monolith, as this, you know, very... You know, we're talking about podcasting. Podcasting is a lot of different things. I go over this in my classes all the time. You know, I think for a lot of people, a surprising amount of people, I would guess, podcasting is 
you know, radio on demand, right? It's This American Life or Radio Lab or something like that. That's a traditional radio show sent out as an MP3 file. But I also, but, but if you think about but the different types of podcasts, you know, the freeform conversation, the kind of, you know, uh, true crime reporting or something like that. I just think of like, like my brother, my brother and me, would that work on any radio network that you could think of? I mean, maybe Sirius XM if you want to be, you know, if you want you want to think of it that way. But I don't think it does. And so I, 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 I think, like you said, podcasting is still so relatively new. And it, I, I think it's podcasting is such a collective catch-all term that I don't think that you know it's a, it's always a direct comparison to radio. And that's not to say one is better than the other. Radio is very good at working that hour. It's very good at, you know, I turn to, I put on my NPR station right around the top of the hour. I know exactly what I'm going to get. And that's exactly what I want to get out of my NPR station at the top of the hour. There's that reliability. There's that kind of, you know, being able to go live is a big thing. You know, it's very much the, you know, the similarity between, you know, reading something in my local paper versus reading something, let's say in the New Yorker. They're both print. They're both words, but they're very different things. So I just think, I, I, I think that, and one of the reasons I think, like you said, pot, you know, radio wants to catch up on podcasting because podcasting has got the money. I mean, this, this very podcast is hosted on a, on a, by a service I heard about on podcasts. It's on Squarespace. Um, and so I think, and so I think, and podcasting is cool. It's trendy. It's hot or it's thought of as, and, you know, radio, I think is not, is obviously not seen at that. So I think there's a lot more, we want to get into podcasting because that's where the cool kids are and that's where the growth is. And I don't necessarily think that's, you know, I, I think that's where it gets back to the ridiculous idea from last week where people just view podcasting as on-demand audio when I think it's a much bigger bigger thing yeah, than well that. look I, I think that um it's you make a good point and, and the other thing to keep in mind is that there's other forms of i, I was going to say audio but there's more than that like that it's such a different game from what it was even even 15 years ago where you know the the live function it was you know the, it was hard to get on tv even with cable and radio was often a way to be live and not necessarily have to have the full expense of being on television. And now, I mean, I w- if you and I wanted to do this live, we'd just hop on Google Hangouts and make it public. And and then we right. could still record right. it as, as, in podcast format and release it afterwards. And the audience has shown that they will listen to that. It's It's not just that the formats are all different from one another within the podcast realm. It's like you also have to look at streaming video. And and other things like that, and think about the way that the attitude of the audience has changed. And so, if I'm radio, going back to Jared's original question, I really have to look at this and say to myself, I don't know. Like, if you think about all of the aspects of media, what is the one place that radio has the greatest advantage over every other form of live audio or visual medium? Can you can you name it? Yes, exactly, and. That probably won't ever go away because now, you know, that said, I almost exclusively listen to podcasts and Spotify in my car, but my wife doesn't like she it's too much hassle for her to hook up the Bluetooth. You know, she'd rather just listen to, you know, the local rock station. 
And I think that that's still the attitude that a lot of people have. But I think that's going to gradually change because ultimately, if, yeah, it's ironic, like this morning she was driving in and she's like, well, the song Brick just came on and that's not the song I need this morning. So are you going to sit through the four <laughs> plus minutes of brick on the radio or are you going to just say, you know, I wonder, I, I think, let me call up that playlist that I had on Spotify. Uh, you know, I think that the right. choice that's out there eventually eclipses even the advantages that radio has as a medium. I mean, everybody thought, oh, you know, the, the nightly news on television is never going to go away because people aren't going to want to hop on their computers and you know, watch news. Well, maybe that's true, but guess what? Now they're just hopping on their phones or tablets. And so the things that we just take for granted in this industry end up getting eroded very quickly. And as far as the commingling, you know, what I would expect is, you know, the the same thing that we've seen television do, the same thing we've seen some of these big entertainment companies do. They're going to try to use their financial muscle and their marketing leverage to get into uh, environments where they aren't natural and then force kind of a hackneyed, almost, you know, hybridized version of, of what they currently do and what they perceive podcasting as onto the audience. The difference here is the audience doesn't have to listen to it. Like the, the audience can, as they've shown, you know, they can go seek out other things that better suit their needs. And I don't know that the radio industry right now is actually intellectually or emotionally prepared to deal with that. So anyway, to wrap things up, we so if you've been a longtime listener to the podcast, there was an infamous episode where we did like a 15 minute knockdown drag out argument over pancakes versus waffles versus French toast as, as the ideal uh, breakfast carb delivery system. And I'm still dissatisfied with how that played out. But um, we've got another potential entry point here. So my birthday is coming up relatively soon. And. Happy almost birthday. And (laughs) uh, yeah, but so I'm my uh, my wife asked me the other day, like, you know, what? Well, she's like, I almost she's like, I was looking for a place to get you some cheesecake because I really like cheesecake uh, for my birthday. And she's like, I can't find any place that has good cheesecake in town, which I mean, it's not shocking. We live in Bloomington, Indiana, for God's sake. Um, But it it brought up in my mind, you know, this question of. For a a birthday style dessert treat, what's the ideal way to go? And and you know certainly cheesecake is not cake; it's pie, as far as I'm concerned. Would you agree with that analysis? Yeah, I'll go with it's that. Pie. I, that. I mean, yeah. it, it, it has very few characteristics of a cake. But you know, right. given the choice between pie, cake, and cupcakes for your birthday dessert item, what is the best choice and why? I'm going to let you start on this. I mean, okay, I have a lot of things to say on this. Um, well, let me, so I'm, I'm <coughs> excuse me, I'm just going to come right out and say it. Pie is the always the superior option. I don't think there's any argument there. I, I, I would take pie over cake over cupcake. I would take pie over virtually any kind of dessert. So I am all, I, I, I there's almost no type of pie that I don't like. My my wife and I, my my beloved wife of almost eleven years and I have very few fundamental disagreements in our life. This is one of the top two. She's a cake person. I'm a pie person. She is wrong. I am right. Um, so I'm going I'm going very strongly with pie on this one. The cupcake entry is interesting, and here's why. Uh, a couple reasons. One, my 
So you, if you've seen or been on Pinterest or around these sites, you've probably seen the cupcake cone phenomenon where you take, you, you have the, the cupcakes in the ice cream, the, the like plain ice cream cones. My mother was making that 30 years ago. My mother, oh, my mother is the original, the OG cupcake cone creator. She is a cupcake cone hipster. She was doing it way before anybody else. Um, and that was always what we took into school. And she still makes cupcake cones for us on our birthday. She makes a couple for me and my daughter. We have the same birthday. So she uh, she makes a couple of those. So I'm, I kind of have a soft spot for that. The cake versus cupcake breakdown, though, is tough. Because generally speaking, I would say cake. Because cupcakes are, on the whole, I feel like always unsatisfying. There's either the, the frosting to cake ratios, either, uh, you know, sometimes off you have too much frosting. No, no such, sorry, no cu- such thing as too, too much small. frosting. Get out of here with that. Okay, I'll, I'll allow. Okay, I'll allow that. But relative to the size of the cupcake, it can be it can it, it can make things awkward. Um, but cupcakes keep for a few days, whereas cake, once you get beyond the initial cutting, unless you've cut it yourself, like uh, like cake is always awkward to eat in a in, in, in a secondary setting after the after the party after the celebration. So um, I think I would go pie cupcakes cake in hmm. my in my rankings here. I- I don't know. I mean, so I, I've come around on this a few times and I, I would say that they all have their benefits and a lot of it really comes down to your attitude towards sugar. Uh, and, and I think, you know, for okay. me in particular, mm-hmm. like I, when I was a kid, I, I would eat, I could eat a lot of sugar. I really enjoyed sugar. Sugar is like a drug. I mean, everybody knows that. And the problem with cake, in my opinion, is that the pieces are normally big enough that there's there's too much sugar intake there like you feel and it's some of this depends if you've got a sheet cake and you're getting the little slices that's a different story that's always to me that's always the most disappointing of right. things like if, if i oh, if that, i had to rank worthless. my yeah. entire birthday dessert options sheet cake uh from the store would be at the very bottom of the list but if you get like a sheet cake, cake would be below like salad i, I, I would, I would be in favor of looking at it like that yes um when you get into like you know the the cakes the round cakes that are made in the pans with the icing in the middle and all that stuff that's where you almost get to be too much um like and this is this is i always go back to this it's like you 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 know cake obviously tastes good but you you can eat too much of it and it almost feels like well if i'm having this for my birthday i want a nice big piece of cake but that's almost always too much um, I think where cupcakes, their advantage is they're 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 nimble. Like they they have a mobility to them that cake doesn't have. Like it's a it's a preset amount. You know exactly how much you're about to eat when you pick up a cupcake. And I also think that that's true. There's there's certain things you can do blend wise with cupcakes. Whether and you know sometimes it's the icing, sometimes it's like the whole buttercream cupcake phenomenon, which I was a big fan of. Um, there's there's ways to approach cupcakes that I think are far more versatile than what you get with cakes. There's also, I think a lot more individualized ways to do cupcakes. And that's a big thing is uh, for me as well. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of with you on the pie thing. Like the more I've thought about it, you know, pie, I feel like is unfairly relegated to the holidays and you know, the, this, this, and, and, and sometimes not even great pie. Like if I'm ranking my pies, you know the the most prevalent pie at Thanksgiving is probably pumpkin pie, and and that that's down there among sheet cake and salad, as far as I'm concerned. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree on that that's one, but fine. we can come back. We can uh, come back but but you know, even if you can get you could make like a chocolate pie. That's a great that's a great birthday dessert item. You could make a fruit pie, and many of those are great. You can do some combinations of things. You've got things like cheesecake, which are, are far more pie than cake. And I think the flavor profile of pie is it feels better because unlike a cake, which is in you know almost always you know baked flour and it has a heaviness to it. You know, pie, you know, there's certainly some dense pies, but the density doesn't feel like you're struggling through it. You know, I mean, you know, pecan pie is pretty dense, but it's because it's, you know, even though there's probably more sugar in pecan pie than there is in cake, because it's mixed with nuts and because it's it's kind of baked in, in just a particular way, the texture of it to me is a lot easier to consume. And so I'm with, I'm sorry, I feel like I'm with you on yeah, this and pie I feel thing. Like, yeah. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I sometimes I feel like I stand alone, and it's good to have an ally out here. But also with pie, I feel like it's much easier to kind of ration the portion control. So you get a you get a pecan pie, you go with a thin slice on that. You're not going to have a big hunk because that's just coma. But like if you have a, a, a similarly th- like small piece of cake, I, I find that wholly unsatisfying. I think you're right on the cake thing. There, there, there's no. Like, like like a single piece of pie is usually wonderful and delicious and and the perfect amount of dessert. You know, if you want to if you want to go beyond that and that and I certainly have. Um but that that that's usually a very satisfying whereas cake if you get the little slice of cake that feels very unsatisfying. That feels very um thin, there's not much to it and you usually end up going back for more. But if you have an, an enormous hunk of cake, especially if you have a frosting in the middle, then yes, there's that's that's way too much. And, and yeah, I, 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 and you know, I'm a big fan of the meringue pies, the key lime pie or a lemon, a lemon pie, lemon meringue pie. Um, so, so underrated as a dessert. Um, but yeah, I I am with you. If you, especially if you add cheesecake to the, uh, to the mix as a pie, which I I think I'd have to, unless you have it as its own category. I mean, it has the word cake in it. I'm not. I'm not agreeing with you. I'm saying that I think that's the whole. There's argument. no flour, there's no in, a flour in a cheesecake. In a cheesecake, like a cake, a cake, a cake is generally no it's, it's it's like milk, eggs, flour, and sugar, and some flavoring agent, and then it's put in a an oven, and then it rises. Well, cheesecake is cream cheese and sugar and and some flavoring agent, and it's it's baked, but it doesn't rise. It's just baked to set. It's it's on a graham cracker crust, which. How many cakes do you know have a graham cracker crust? Right. Because pies have graham cracker crust. Like that's the yeah. whole idea. So I just, right. you know, to me, I mean, obviously, I don't know how many people are actually on the corner of cheesecake is cake, but but there should be nobody there. Like you shouldn't even be contemplating being <laughs> on that corner. Right. I, I, I agree with that one. No, a cake is by definition like batter. Like I've read this in cookbooks, cake right. is batter that is baked. And there's nothing better about about a cheesecake. But now I want cheesecake and pie, and I think I'm going to spend most of the afternoon. <laughs> we baking did our job. Then. This All right. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap yes. up? No, I I, I think this it was a good uh, good discussion. Thank you to uh, uh, at Assembly Call Jared. Is his name? I'm sorry, he's not. Yeah, that was that was a really good question and. Uh, impressive that he tweeted that at us in the middle of the podcast when he has no way of knowing that we spent five minutes at the beginning of this podcast it's, talking about the very topic. That was there, that's some next level stuff there. there. It's it's uh, it's good. 
But no, if you and if and Jared has his uh, his own podcasts, uh, certainly if you're an IU basketball fan, you should check out uh, the Assembly Call, uh, a a regular discussion of IU basketball, and uh, and, and certainly uh, one that you you should check out on a regular basis. Um, and Jared's got some other stuff too uh, that's worth checking out. So. Um, Thank you uh, to Jared, and thanks to everybody for listening in. Um, we've got a, a podcast next week, and I'll be post-birthday at that point, so I'll let you all know what I decided on as far as the dessert item was concerned. And oh, there'll, there'll be a we full report. The full report. Don't yes. that. But uh, if you'd like to follow along with us on Twitter or on Facebook, well, Facebook, you probably won't be doing that but twitter certainly you can follow along at dr gc <laughs> at bp moritz or at flipside pod uh, be sure to follow along with those be sure to subscribe on itunes give us a good rating uh, or whatever rating you feel like it'd be great if it was good but i'm not going to you know really poke you and say no that is one of one of the bad things about podcast culture is the please give us a five-star rating rate us that i'm like if you don't right. like us well don't listen for one thing, but also, yeah, no, we're not. I, I hate the begging um, for rating. Yeah. Thing, so, or good rating. Yeah. So rate, rate, us, whatever, rate us. Like us. It's all good. Anyway, for Brian, I'm Galen. This is the flip side and uh, we will catch you folks on the flip side. So long, everybody. Yeah.